0: All right, I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 4. We'll be covering the uh, whole chapter of chapter 4 today. I want to introduce you to a woman uh, who was alive in the 1930s and 40s. Her name was Josephine Carbone. She she was Italian. Josephine Carbone was her name. And she also went by the uh, moniker... Reverend Mother, right. she was an Italian immigrant who became known as this mighty miracle worker and this preacher in Brooklyn, uh, she attracted this large, these large crowds and had a really loyal following, these followers, because she apparently helped and healed some of these people, so one woman who suffered from poor mental health praised Josephine and she wrote that she did so much for me and I have been alright ever since and right. so people would uh, adore, adored her and followed her. But not everything was as it seemed. There was more happening with Josephine beneath the surface because Josephine was also an abuser. Uh, for this one example that I read about, she kept one young girl, Jenny, kind of as a, a payment from this family. So she Wanted payments from people for the miracles that she did, and one gift of gratitude from a family was their daughter, who she kept as a maid, uh, and she never paid her, and she never gave her a bed. She made her sleep on the floor, uh, and Jenny had to use her own coat to uh, cover herself up at night. Uh, and one time, so you don't you don't cross Reverend Mother, because one time uh, Jenny crossed her. Uh, and got hit in the head with a metal can and created this gash in her head and she's bleeding and she couldn't go home because her family would send her right back, uh, to Josephine. So she ran away for the night, uh, and, and Josephine ends up finding out where she is and, uh, and she calls her and, and, you know, is just so apologetic and, uh, and is, you know, speaking all this affection and saying, like, I need you, you know, I love you so much. You're so dear to me. But that wasn't what it seemed either. And that's what, that's what abusers do, right? Uh, abusers uh, will shower you with uh, words of love and affection to get you to come back, and underneath the surface, they, they still don't change. Everything is not as it seems. Her appearance was different from what was happening underneath. Just recently, I read about Nestle. Anybody here like Nestle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I, I want to turn you off of Nestle. Uh, uh, it's a sweet chocolate candy company. I've actually read some horrible things that this company has done in in the past to make money. Uh, they would send workers to Africa, disguise them as nurses, and to convince mothers not to breastfeed but to buy their formula instead. Uh, still more, I, I read recently about the this prominent Swiss bank, right, Switzerland. This is known for its its neutrality, right? Uh, there, but be- behind this facade of neutrality, this bank, uh, its wealthiest clients, they knew this, accumulated their wealth through uh, torture, and uh, trafficking, corruption. Right, the appearance, the, the clean, wealthy, classy veneer, hides something far more sinister. Everything is not as it seems. Everything is not as it appears. Last week, in chapter 3, we saw the fall of humanity and and the introduction of sin into the world. And we saw that, that sin messed a lot of things up. It messed up our relationship with creation, messed up our relationship with each other, and most importantly, it messed up our relationship with God. But now in this chapter, the story of Cain and Abel reveals something. That sin creates a facade. That things are not as they appear. That things are far more sinister beneath the surface. Behind our words and the mask we put on are emotions and motives that have been full on corrupted by sin. Sin has has so tangled up our, our thoughts our feelings and reasons and motivations to the point that we can never truly untangle them. It's impossible for us to untangle all of that. For humanity, fallenness means that there is far more wickedness that goes on beneath the surface because everything is not as it appears to be. Sin creates a fallen nature that is twisted and distorted, and indecipherable to us. So I'd like to explore how this chapter reveals those parts of our fallen nature. So let's read uh, Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Unfortunately, not going to be up on the screen today. It's okay. Follow along in your Bibles, or or you can listen, or both. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mahuajel, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel; He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal king. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. First, sin creates fallen emotions. This chapter starts off with a focus on childbearing. And and this isn't surprising because remember in chapter 3, God promises a seed, right? A, A seed of the woman who will vanquish the, the serpent, and so now in chapter four, what is the focus on? The seed. Even Eve saying, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord," is, is her acknowledging that the seed can only come with God's help, and it might be Cain. Right? This this isn't like Titanic. Okay, we're not. You know the ending of Titanic before you even go into the movie. It's it's a movie about a ship that sinks. You know what's going to happen. But this this is, is the anticipation is. Cain might be the seed. How will Adam and Eve's child fare now that he's born into this world? What will he do? We're we're told Cain's occupation is working the ground. He's a farmer. While his brother, Abel, we're told is a shepherd. And both bring offerings to the Lord. And and we're we're actually not told much about about their offerings, but we can see this. Because Abel offered the the, first fruits and the uh, or the firstborn and the fat portions of his flock, Abel goes out of his way to please the Lord, where Cain is simply just discharging a duty. He's just doing it because he has to. Kind of like it would be me going out of my way to do all the laundry to please my wife. Rather than just doing it, because he's asked me a hundred times already. Okay, I'm I'm tired of this, I'll just do it. And and the end result of this kind of activity? The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And right here, we're introduced to a really important theme in Scripture. The subversion of the firstborn. Right in this culture, you know, the firstborn is everything. They would inherit everything. They would carry on the family name. But in God's sovereignty, the firstborn is consistently passed over in favor of a younger sibling. So uh, when we get to uh, Abraham, we Isaac is chosen over Ishmael, even though Ishmael is the firstborn. Jacob is chosen over Esau, even though Esau is the firstborn. David is chosen over his brothers, even though David is seventh. Right, so scripture is this theme of God subverting the normal human practice. But here's what happens because of this. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Right here, we're introduced to the first emotion since Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. Not an emotion of joy. Not an emotion of sorrow, not even an emotion of anxiety, but anger. Think about it this way. Anger was never an emotion that humans were meant to experience. This is why it's a a fallen emotion. Even God's anger, which is holy and just and good, is temporary. God's God's not angry in eternity, and he's not going to be angry in the new creation. In this way, sin introduced all other fallen emotions in this world that we experience. So sorrow as a fallen emotion, fear, anxiety, guilt, even apathy. They're all fallen emotions. But anger is, is really, it's a fitting emotion here because it is the mo- emotion that we most feel when we want to justify ourselves. Anger starts because we have been wronged. When we feel we are in the right and we need someone else to be proved wrong. How often do you get angry when someone attacks your beliefs? You you feel wronged. You get angry over it, don't you? Anger was the defining characteristic of the Pharisees, right? The, The people who are most famous for wanting to justify themselves. And Cain is angry. Which makes him susceptible to sin. God tells him, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Guess where God just said that? Same sentence. To Eve, during the curse, he told Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And the fact that this is the same language doesn't bode well for Cain. Kane. Cain's behavior here shows how our fallen emotions work. Our emotions are now, are now tangled up and, and distorted and just turned upside down. Rather than anger at sin, right, we get angry when we're wronged. And even when we're angry at sin, it's usually at somebody else's sin and not our own. When we feel guilty, we don't confess and repent of our guilt, but we try to cover up our guilt with more sin. Sorrow becomes this pretext for manipulating someone else to get what we want. We want to get them to feel sorry for us, so we wallow in self-pity. Willa has become very good at knowing how to use sorrow to get out of trouble, especially for mommy. Dad sees right through her tricks. Because dad has done the same thing. Our fallen emotions become both the way that we hide our sin and the launching pad for doing more sin. Which is fitting because that brings us to our next point. Sin creates fallen emotions. Sorry, sin creates fallen motives. Fallen motives. God's encouragement to Cain Uh, was real. If you do well, you will be accepted. That's an encouragement. But his warning is also real. If he does not do well, sin will dominate him. And once again, humanity's DNA is infused with ignoring God's word. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Some uh, translations say, let's go out to the field. I don't know, but Cain, stricking his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Listen, it is no accident that the first sin committed outside the garden, a place of life, is the taking of life. And not only that, but the first sin isn't just any old sin, it's a sin against the image of God. Instead of seeing God's image populate and reproduce, we now see the attempt to diminish it and destroy it. The seed of the serpent attempting to devour the seed of the woman. And I, the first thing I want to seize on, uh, is, is Cain's first motive, which is his anger. Every emotion in some way becomes our pretext for sin. Uh, but but anger, I, I wanna, I'm focusing on anger, not only because it's here, but it's especially insidious because its target is, without exception, someone else. Anger is what leads us to curse the image of God that cuts us off while we're driving. Anger is what drives us to yell at the image of God and your wife or your daughter or your son. But, but a second motive is seen right here in Cain's excuse, right? God asks, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain replied, you do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Fallen motives prevent us from confessing the reality of our sin and downplaying our responsibility for it. Making them out to be not that bad. So instead of saying, I've been sinning, we say, I, I've been struggling with sin. That doesn't sound as bad, does it? Uh, or, or looking at pornography might be bad, but at least it's not adultery. It could be worse. Stealing I, is just taking my fair share. I deserve this. And, and the particularly ironic answer to Cain's question is what? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are. This is the whole reason for 1 John. 1 John even references Cain and Abel. He says, don't be like Cain. And and then he says, it's not just enough to not hate your brother, but you must actively love him. And and brother, get this, in the context of 1 John, is, is basically the equivalent of saying neighbor. You don't get to pick and choose who your brother is. This is why we never have a cavalier attitude towards suffering in the world. Never cavalier. Our influence over it might be small, but never cavalier. This is why I wish more Christians of my skin color would have stood up in the Jim Crow South, Or why we today must stand up against racism or anti-Semitism or abortion or any injustice that we encounter. Distance, right? Geographical distance. If It's happening in Ukraine or China. Willful willful ignorance, just not refusing to look at it further. Or, Or supposed limitations. I just don't have all that much money or whatever. Are no excuses for overlooking sin. And yet we use them all the time as motives for doing nothing. We're all guilty of this. And and the last motive is seen in Cain's reaction to his punishment. God curses Cain. uh, And he curses him from from, you can no longer work the ground but you must be a a fugitive and a wanderer. And, And Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain doesn't feel bad about murdering his brother about his sin he feels bad about the punishment for his sin how can your punishment be worse than murdering your brother his motive for his sorrow is to try and escape the harshness of the penalty that's that's what Cain wants and listen when we confess our sin because we've been caught or because of the consequences, that casts a dark shadow of doubt over the sincerity of our motives. And sin, sin corrupts our motives to where our motives for even confessing and repenting of sin are often twisted with just wanting to escape punishment. One of my favorite authors and pastors, his name is Tully and Chevigian, Billy Graham's grandson, wrote a, one of my favorite books I've ever read. It, Still is, but he was later caught in adultery. And, and I hoped that his confession was genuine. He, even though he got caught and then confessed, I hoped it was genuine. But it kinda come to light that he also had another affair that he never confessed in the, during the first place. And, and now his whole confession and repentance seemed doubtful. The whole thing is cast into doubt. And he, he still continues to pastor. And it's like, you, you haven't taken any time to try and repent. That's, that's the kind of thing that I mean when, when we just confess because we get caught. We're sorrowful because of the penalty. But get this God shows a mercy to Cain, doesn't he? Later, God demands life for life. Right? When we get through Noah, the story of Noah, God says, by man's blood shall be spilled with the man, blood of man, something like that. Life for life. That's what God demands. But, but, here, instead of sentencing death to Cain, God protects him from being harmed. What a mercy! Cain deserves to die, and God is protecting him from harm. But still, Cain defies his punishment, doesn't he? Instead of wandering, what does he do? He settles. In defiance. He builds a city. He's resisting the consequences of his sin. He doesn't accept them so that he repents. He continues in his sin. That's this picture that we have of Cain. Resisting not only God's judgment on him, but also he's resisting God's mercy. So in Cain, we have this picture of the fallen motives we all now share in our humanity. We make excuses, we hide, we pretend so that our true motives are hidden from us. Our motives are always tainted with sin and we will do everything we can to keep from seeing it. Which leads to our next point. Sin creates fallen culture. Now in Genesis we are introduced to the first genealogy. And if you've read any amount of the Old Testament or even the beginning of Matthew, you have encountered with these genealogies. And for many of you, that might be the last thing you read in your journey to read the Bible. Because, well... (laughs) Frankly, if we're honest, they just don't seem that exciting to us, do they? But but believe it or not, and I think that you do, genealogies play a significant role in Scripture. And while we may not understand all the details and in the ins and outs, here's, here's the big picture for genealogies is that they trace God's sovereignty to bring about the promises. That them recording the genealogies and the act of faith on their part because they know that through one of these lines, the seed is going to come. And and another purpose of the genealogies, right, is to show the outcomes of them. Right? So later, we're going to come across the, the genealogies of both Jacob and Esau. And the point is to show the outcomes of their lives. And so, We see lines that either survive by God's grace or lines that are plunged into sin and into ruin. And that is the case of the genealogy of Cain. Sadly, Cain's offspring will not produce the promised seed, but instead will produce seed killers. Cain's offspring are tainted with sin, and what they produce is tainted with sin. The first indication is that he builds a city. right? This is the first city in scripture. And there's nothing wrong with cities. right? Uh, uh, God will choose the city, Jerusalem, for his temple. And guess what? The center of the new creation will be a, a city. The new Jerusalem. So, so the city is not what's wrong. But this city is built not by the direction of God, but in direct defiance of God. That's why Cain built a city. Cain is trying, listen, Cain is trying to find purpose outside the parameters that God has set for him. Because of this, it is then no surprise that the city will continue to try and find its purpose apart from God. So we read in, in Cain's genealogy some interesting things. Uh, we read about uh, Lamech, and he has, uh, first of all, um, two wives, polygamy. So already in defiance of God's order for marriage. But but um, uh, we read that Abel bore J- Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So not only in Cain do we have the first city, but we also have the first indications of civilization. You're making technology and art. And again, there's nothing wrong with tools, and there's nothing wrong with technology, and there's nothing wrong with music and art. Nothing wrong with those things. In fact, those are all really good things. What's wrong is why they're doing it to find some kind of meaning apart from God. One commentator wrote, such activity may have been their way to cope with life under the curse. It was their only recourse in a bitter life. Being separated from God, Cain's line enhanced their life with these refinements. And this is why things like uh, violence, Drug use, alcohol abuse, and sexual immorality are signs of great cultural unhealth. Right? People want to define these things as freedom, right? The freedom to do what I want to do. We see that as, as maximum human flourishing. But in reality, they are our attempt to be like Cain. We are searching, searching for meaning apart from God. And in the end, These things practiced this way as giving meaning apart from God always, always, always lead to corruption, exploitation, and death. Cain's genealogy here is important because it shows us how it starts with denying murder to ending with boasting in murder. Cain's descendant Lamech Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Boasting in his murder. In fact, he didn't just kill a man, he killed basically a child. Uh, Stephen Dempster uh, wrote that this is an anti-genealogy since it begins with Cain, the brother killer, and ends with the child killer, Lamech. There is also the stark specter of a civilization ruled and governed by sin, using its learning for dark purposes, assuming for itself the prerogative of divine justice. In a few verses, the writer is able to convey a sense of the catastrophic descent of the human race from covering up killing to boasting in bloodletting. and in many ways this is true of every culture not every culture is as bad as it could be but the more rampant sin is the more rampant death is sin infects culture on every level it infects individuals sin infects families it infects communities it infects regions It infects corporations and institutions. Sin infects everything at every level, everywhere. I've had anger problems because my family has passed on generational anger. Entire communities are built around the sins of racial superiority or, or guess what, sexual freedom. Corporations exploit for maximum profit. Sin mixes everything up. Our whole being is is twisted and distorted. And instead of being naked, known, and seen, and being whole, we are hidden and we are fractured. And we can no longer see as we ought. There is no untangling of sin from any part of our being. Its grip is strong and subtle, and it corrupts everything that we do or put our hands. Even the most righteous acts that we can do are tainted with sin. Isaiah tells us that even our righteous acts are as filthy rags. If this is what is to become of Adam's line, then judgment is all that we can inherit. But this chapter doesn't end with Cain, does it? It ends with another child. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Not, it doesn't just say Eve got pregnant, it says God appointed a new offspring. God carrying, holding, providing, and sustaining. And this offspring has a son, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, a chapter that begins with murder and defiance ends with an act of God's grace. And that's how it goes, doesn't it? Men murder and destroy, but God still acts. Joseph's brothers plot to murder him but God used what they meant for evil to use for good and for grace. And on through history, the same thing happens until the final offspring. And this final offspring was also murdered by Cain. Cain killed Abel because Abel was righteous. Jesus was put to death because he was the righteous one. Abel's blood cried out to God for judgment. But Jesus' blood cries out to God at salvation. A true and better Abel would come from the line of Seth and be murdered just the same. Except this time, the murder brings life to the entire world. We in this room are all king. Settle into your mind that you are not able, you are Cain. Because of your sin, you put Jesus to death. But by God's grace, we can be redeemed by the very one that we have murdered in a shocking reversal. What mercy! That the sin that led Jesus to the cross would end up becoming our salvation. What a shocking reversal. What a mercy. And you can be like Cain and continue to live in defiance of that mercy, or you can fall at your feet in reverence and in faith and repentance. And now, now our mission as those who have chosen to follow this Jesus, are to re- is to redeem those enslaved by their sin and their fallen natures. The line of Cain and the culture of Cain can be broken by the Gospel. We go into cultures of death that we might sow life by giving them Christ. We trample over death because of the one death. To be a people who drink deeply of the grace of Jesus, that we would sow life where death is rampant. Cry out to Jesus for grace, cry out to Him as a murderer in need of mercy. Let's respond. Lord Jesus, how unworthy are we as murderers to cry out to You asking for mercy. But that is exactly what You came to accomplish and that is exactly what You do for sinners. Lord, and because of Your extravagant grace, may we not try to cover our sin with emotions, may we not try to cover it with motives, may we not try to cover it with culture, but Lord, may we fling our sin onto You who died for our sin. May we no longer hide, but say, Lord, here I am naked in front of You. Please take me and clothe me with Your righteousness and Your mercy. Because apart from You, I can only produce death. And in a world of death, in a culture of death, Lord Jesus, make me your ambassador for life. People are hungry for life. May we give it to them in your name. We ask this of you, Lord Jesus. In your name.